0: So I am really excited about this series. Claire and I have been wanting to do this for a few years. Um, we saw we saw it at the one event about three years ago, and it was just a little bit too close to when we'd done the story to say mm, maybe yeah maybe now is not the right time. But but this year we felt, with all the other things that we're doing, that actually an overview of the Bible, getting a real picture of the beginning to the end and how it all fits together and it's not as scary as actually we think it is half the time, um, it felt like this was the right time. So I'm really, really excited um, about this series. Uh, you won't have seen me up the front here for a little while, and I wasn't going to say this, but it's just some stuff that came out of the worship time, I felt it was important. I've not been particularly well over the last few months, I'm still not quite there yet, Um, I've been off work, I've been struggling with anxiety and depression, and that's why I have not been able to be at the front here. Um, Sometimes I haven't actually been able to walk through the front door. And the reason I'm sharing that is not because I want your sympathy, because I I don't. I'm sharing it because a couple of people, um, Judy and Taya, shared something during the worship time, and I just wanted to reiterate the fact that whatever you are going through, God is going through it with you. And... You, there is light at the end of the tunnel, even if you are still in the tunnel. Does that make sense? So yeah, that's it. The second thing I share, second reason I share that is because this is the Sunday that I wanted to make sure I was able to stand at the front and preach because I am so excited about this series and I wanted to start it. Claire kept saying, do you want me to do it? Are you sure you're going to be okay? No, I am going to do it. So I'm terrified, um, but I am here. So this is going to be an exciting series. If you are in a small group, you may well have one of these books. Okay, You do not need to bring it with you on a Sunday morning. We're not going to be working through a workbook on a Sunday morning. But this is um, a more in-depth study guide of what we are going to cover on a Sunday. Uh, Some excellent videos that you'll be watching, and there'll be opportunity to discuss and share and give your thoughts and ask all those weird questions that you've never been able to ask before. And it's like, well, why? What? And ask those questions, because we need to be sure that we believe the Bible. You know, if we're going to go out and share the good news with people, we need to be 100% convinced ourselves that the Bible is true, and we need to know about it. So what we're going to do over the next eight weeks with a slight hiccup over Christmas um, is do a bit of a quick overview of the session on a Sunday morning. So you get the idea. And if you're not in a small group, you can't make a small group, you won't miss out. Uh, And then in the week, then whenever your small group meets, you'll be going through the session, going through the book, um, sharing together, praying together. There is some guidance notes. I don't know how many small groups have taken this up, but there are suggestions for appropriate snacks. Okay, so just saying, if your small group leader has not brought and developed the appropriate snackage to go with the session, please moan to them. Um, (laughs) I'm looking at the small group leaders pointedly. There are all sorts of snack options. So that I found quite amusing when I read the notes. The whole point is that we'll be using this amazing Bible timeline to really see how the whole story fits together and really gain, I'm going to put this down because I'm going to keep waving it about. Um, that, to really gain a really good overview and insight and a, and a real solid understanding of all the way from Genesis, which I have to remember I'm doing backwards, so this is Genesis for you, to Revelation down the end. Uh, and what we'll do each week is we'll be concentrating on a different section of this timeline. My job today is to do an overview of the whole thing, which is why I've got to run backwards and forwards so much. Um, and I have a little crib stickers on the back here that you probably will not like So, who's got a Bible at home of any shape or form? Excellent. Who's got more than one Bible at home? Excellent. Where did you get your first Bible? School? Your mum? Secondary school. Gideon's Bible? New Testament the Psalms? Yes. Yeah. Your grandma. Oh, so you've got a family Bible that was given to you. Excellent. Anyone get a Bible as a prize from Sunday school? Yeah. Yes. Loving a prize from Sunday school. Don't do that so much now. Girls Brigade. Yes. So often they were gifts from other people. I have many different Bibles. So I, I, just, I went around my house this morning. Quick survey. A quick survey. I picked up some of the Bibles I have in my house. I have a huge selection. This, I don't actually know where I got this from. Um, but this is a children's illustrated Bible. Okay, some nice pictures in there. Sorry? Was that from the one event? There's some rather graphic pictures in here, actually. The one I've just flicked to there was slightly traumatised dead lion. So anyway, I don't look too, I don't I'm not sure how many children would be like... This one is fascinating, although apparently Mike has got this. Um, the hundred minute Bible. I must have bought this with great enthusiasm at some point. (laughs) So I thought, brilliant, I can read that. That's fine. So that's obviously not the whole thing. That's excerpts from the Bible. This one is what I call my preacher's Bible. So this is the one where if you want to look like you know what you're talking about. It's like the big preacher floppy Bible. And you've got lots of helpful little hints at the bottom that explain what's going on. So that's my big floppy preacher's Bible. This one is one of my favorites. This one is my coloring Bible. So look, you can colour it in. Yeah. So I haven't done very much of the colouring, obviously, as you can see. But look, isn't it pretty? Pretty. So that's nice. If you get bored during a sermon, that's fine. We were shopping yesterday, Charlotte, and and she bought. She saw a doodle book, a doodle colouring book, little notebook. She goes, "Oh, that would be a doodle book. That would be great for sermons." This is a youth Bible. This is not actually my youth Bible, but this is one I found in the cupboard next door. Youth Bible. Rewritten, not rewritten, but you know, translated in a way that youth can understand it. Lots of helpful things about what to do when your parents are awful uh, and stuff like that in there. That's really good. This one, downloading the Bible, the rough guide to the New Testament. That's all sorts. That's very trendy. That one. I must have bought that in a fit of enthusiasm one day. And then this is the message, which I like to read when I don't understand what the passage is going on about, and it's just a really good illustration. So that's just a few Bibles that I grabbed off my shelf this morning. And lugged here in a carrier bag. Now, I have loads of Bibles. I'm privileged to have loads of Bibles, but so many people don't. And doing this series and starting to write this, I sort of began to feel a bit sad, really, and a little bit guilty that maybe I don't appreciate my Bible quite as much as I should do. It's just always that. I've even got several versions of it on my phone. You know, I can, I can read the Bible whenever I want, and not everybody can. When I was a teenager, I don't know if anyone has ever read the book, but um, I read God's Smuggler. Yeah? So, the, yeah, the, the Dutchman. It really impacted me at the time. Um, and he uh, basically spent his life um, smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain so that people who were not allowed Bibles in their own land could have a Bible. risked his life to take Bibles to people. That? Would I be, would I be that desperate for a Bible that I would be willing to have one if it was illegal to have one? Don't know. We were at GLS last week and um, one of the speakers showed this clip that I'm about to show you. Now, this is a really bad version of the clip, so bear in mind that, yeah, I apologise for that. But it's the essence of the excitement of this group of people when they get a Bible in their own language for the very first time. And I'm going to point out a guy that I want you to look at as we go through. Look at the crowds. They're waiting for these Bibles to arrive. And watch the guy behind him, just there, his face. that excited? Are we that excited when we get the Bibles out of the cupboard on a Sunday morning and put them on your chairs? Hmm, I don't know. I'm not sure I am. And it just made me think, actually, we need to be more excited about this. We need to get more into the Word. So, the Bible. It influences so much of what we do today. What does the Bible influence? Just in today's society. Language, so a lot of the language we use has come from the Bible. Laws, a lot of the laws we have comes from the Bible. Calendar. The calendar. Education. Education. Morals. Morals. Holidays. Yep. All the good ones, anyway. Yeah. Um, sport. Sport, yeah. Football songs, a lot of the football songs that we have are words of hymns. Where do the words of the hymns come from? Largely, the Bible. No. No, no, I'm not planning on it. So, there are loads of books. I am an avid reader. I love reading. I have a Kindle, and I download books onto my Kindle. In fact, I downloaded God's Smuggler again last night, because I remembered how good it was, and I was like, I'm going to read that again. Um, So, you know, we have books all over the place. The Bible is the world's bestseller year on year. Still, the world's best seller. People still read the Bible. Over 400 million copies are sold. Millions of downloads. Like I say, yeah, most people can now download your Bible on your phone. And it's translated into over 2,500 languages. This is not a dead, dusty book. This book is still alive. Today, but who wrote it? Okay, the answer is lots of people. Okay, so it was written by over forty human authors, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, as we go through, and it will come out in all the sessions, I'm sure. It was written over a period of fifteen hundred years. That's a long time to be writing a book. I've often thought I would like to write a book. This is one of the things I want to do. And I've started many books. Okay. I have never got past about the first half a chapter of any book. I've never really, really known what I was doing, if I'm honest. I started a book when I was about 12, don't ask me why, called Along the Pennine Way. I was going to write a book about the Pennine Way. I had never been... To the Pennine Way, I still have never been to the Pennine. Why I decided I was going to write the book, I have absolutely no idea. Maybe one day I'll finish it. By the hills of I was in yet exactly inspired by the hills of Littleport. Maybe I was just desperate to get away from the Fens. I don't know. So I don't think that book was particularly inspired by anything all-encompassing. The Bible, on the other hand, was inspired by God, we're grateful, which is probably why over 1,500 years they did actually manage to finish it, unlike my book. Um, if you have a Bible with you, which would be somewhat appropriate for this morning, I guess, you don't have to look it up, but if you can look up 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Indeed. Or quote it, that's fine. Or quote or, it. Or, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. It was written by human hand, but it was inspired by God. And let's face it, if you're writing a book over 1,500 years, A, it's going to be more than one person. Probably. <laughs> Therefore, you need to have some thread that goes all the way through to make sure the beginning and the end match up. Logic would say. The other thing about the Bible, and if you glance over on the table over there, you'll see lots and lots of books. You'll see some more down the front here. No, don't worry. That's it's behind the bottle holder. That's fine. Um, it's big. It's really, really big. Yeah, my big floppy preacher's Bible. That's huge. And it can be quite overwhelming. You know, has anyone started to read the Bible and started at Genesis 1? Yeah, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the Bible. And you get to Leviticus, usually. <laughs> usually Leviticus. And you get to Leviticus and you think, oh, goodness i can really bored this now. And you lose the thread of what's going on. And that's why a course like this, a series like this, is so important that we can start to see, actually, that something does follow all the way through. So the Bible is really big. If you actually sat down to try and read it in one go, and you're an average, you're a pretty good reader, I think. because I think this is actually quite quick. Um, I read somewhere that it would take an average reader over 70 hours to read the Bible. So you can do those Bible-in-a-year courses so they reckon if you sort of read it for you know, maybe five minutes a day for a year, you'd get all the way through. don't know. Um, I've never gone all the way through from Genesis to Revelation because I just can't cope with it myself. But um, there we go. So what is it? Oops, come back. The Bible is effectively more than a book. It is a book, but it is a library. Okay? So all those books over there, you've got to imagine them on a, like a bookshelf. Okay? Um, so the word Bible, you probably are aware, is from the Greek, biblia, means books. Okay, so that's where we get the bibliothèque, which is about the only French word. That is French, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the only French word I know. Um, but I know that's where it comes from. Uh, so there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and there are 27 books in the New Testament. So it is books, plural. So the Old Testament, if you look at it, focuses on the nation of Israel, and then the New Testament is when Jesus rocks up and everything is slightly different. And you kind of look at the two halves, slightly lopsided halves, granted, of the Bible, and you can kind of look at the Old Testament as, you know, it can be quite harsh, it's quite difficult to read at times, it feels a bit sort of, um, it's hard to swallow sometimes, the Old Testament, it can be quite complicated, there's lots of kind of rules and regulations in it. And it can look as yeah that's where God is being quite harsh and quite mean, whereas the New Testament Jesus comes along as a bit of a nicer alternative, and uh, it says it says somewhere I think it's in the videos when I was watching it says that some people say the Old Testament is what God was like before he became a Christian. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a little bit a little bit like that um, so it it is uh it is. A set of books, but it is one story. And we sang it in one of the songs where it says, um, you are the beginning and the end. It's it's God that is at the beginning all the way through to the end. There is that unifying theme all the way through. So I tend to, I have always viewed it as two chunks, Old Testament and New Testament. But actually, I'm trying to retrain my brain to think about it more as one continuous story. It's not a rule book. There are some guidance points in there, but it's not a rule book. It's about people. It's about people like us finding their place in God's story. People like us finding their place. And that's exactly what it is. It is a story. So we are going to use this fine structure, um, which someone suggested could be used as a bar afterwards or we're going to rent it out to various other churches who want to have vast fees, um, put the money towards make lunch. So we're going to concentrate on different chunks each week as we go through. Hopefully, if it all works out, cleverly timed to reach the birth of Christ around Christmas time. Almost like we thought about it. But like we said, today I've got the job of just explaining how this timeline is going to work. When you watch the videos, do appreciate how much like the real one in the videos that Brian's construction actually looks Can I lean on it? I think I can.
1: Right, so here we go. This is
0: where I have to walk up and down. And I'm going to take a few at a time. Right, okay. So, I've got some slight crib sheets on here, so I've put them all in the right place, because Claire suddenly pointed out, of course, you do realize, Helen, we're going to have to do it backwards from our point of view. It's the right way around for you, completely backwards for me. So we start off Genesis, where God creates that perfect world. He created that amazing garden. Um, Adam and Eve, they're just it was just exactly how it was supposed to be. He created all those amazing creatures, including giraffes. I love giraffes. Um, And everything was absolutely fine. But we know it goes horribly wrong. Okay, sin comes into the world and it goes wrong. And God calls Abraham and his family to to try and bring people back, to bring hope to God. Then they end up down there. Okay, so they end up down there. And Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, seen the film, if not read the book, they end up as slaves in Egypt. And they're there as a nation for 400 years. But God steps in and rescues them dramatically, and takes them in to the promised land. Now, this is where they kind of go around in circles for a little bit. Um, and you'll see when we get to this bit, there's a kind of a whole cycle of things going on here. It's all gone gone a bit funny. So they're ruled over by various judges and kings, and they do it right and wrong, and all sorts of stuff goes on here. Yeah, I know, it just doesn't matter. All right, I'll swap them around. Fine, like oh, whatever. <laughs> judges and kings. Okay, And they go unsavoured. We'll talk about that more as we get to it. And then, despite being warned several times by lots of people, you know, God speaks through loads of people, despite being told what's going to happen, it happens anyway, and they uh, end up split. I've got to get this the right way around. And the nation splits. Okay, uh, And they're conquered, and they're deported, and it all goes a bit pear-shaped. And while they're there... Oops, let's get rid of your post-it notes. Back While they're there, they lament their woe. They're in a bit of a pickle. They start to think, this is all a bit rubbish. And that's where we get the word lament, lamentations. Okay, So they're there. They're feeling a little bit sorry for themselves. And then through Nehemiah, they return. They rebuild. That's a real story of hope. Um, they rebuild and then they wait. Silence. Nothing happens for a long time. And then, this is the bit we'll get to at Christmas. (coughs) Jesus. Jesus is born. Okay, now we will talk about this a lot at Christmas, obviously, but hopefully you know that story. But he lives the most incredible life. He's born in an amazing way, he's rescued from death as a child by warning um, and you know, saved at that point. He lives the most extraordinary life for the son of a carpenter. You know, he doesn't really follow the rules at all. Um, he dies and he rises again. Incredible. All that, that little bit there. All that's happened up to where, all this, all goes on. Then, what fell off? Oh, no, it was Andrew. That's fine. (laughs) Then in Acts, God sends his Holy Spirit. And that's for us. That's for us, empowers us, gives birth to the church in that sense, um, and really challenges the church, which is us today still, to go out and share what we know about Jesus with other people. And then we get all the way from the beginning over here in Genesis, in the beautiful Garden of Eden, the absolute perfect place, down here to Revelation. That's where the story ends. And it ends with hope. It ends with the fact that actually what we had at the beginning, which was lost through all of this story and all of these ups and downs and all of this trouble and all of this hope, actually we have the ultimate hope that what we had at the beginning, the paradise, that perfect relationship with God, we will have again. And that thread, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, flows all the way through. Whistle-stop tour of the Bible, that's it, let's go home. Now, <laughs> we will obviously go back and do some of those sections in more detail as we go through. But it is an amazing story. Not two chunks, not 66 books, but one continual thread all the way through. Let's get excited about what that story gives us. Now, that said, it's still quite difficult to read. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to show my beautiful PowerPoint. You have to watch this. This took me ages. Ah, look at that. Anyway, you can watch that for a minute. <laughs> I had too much time on my hands that day. When you're off work, you can do all sorts of stuff. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay. So, despite the fact that it is this one continual thread and story. It does still need interpreting, and it can be quite tricky to understand at times. Um, so we need to, to play around with that, and this is one of the things that we'll be doing as, as we go through. So when we read a passage, there are two questions we need to ask ourselves. Okay, So don't just read it and think, oh, I've read that. Brilliant. Tick that bit off. Fantastic. You need to ask what? And now what? Okay, So what? What does this passage mean in the Bible culture? Okay? What was it talking about? And then, now what? What does that mean for me in today's culture? Okay? So, example. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Okay? John 13, verse 14. Brilliant, right, so I'm going to take my shoes off and you are going to wash my feet because that's what it says. Anyone comes near my feet, (laughs) I will not be responsible for my actions. I once had to have my feet washed in the service. with a visiting speaker and he decided he was going to talk about washing of the feet as an illustrative point. And then he said, right, I want all the leaders of the church to come up and I will wash their feet. I really, Brian will tell you, I cannot stand anybody touching my, I had to grit my teeth. (laughs) Anyway, so what does that mean? Does that mean we should all go around washing everybody's feet? No, please Lord, no, that's not what it means. What does it mean in the context? Well, what it means in the context is those shoes down the bottom there. Because at the time, in that society, in the Bible culture, what the readers at the time would have understood was that they walked around on dusty roads with open sandals, walked through camel poo, which I don't think is very nice. So when they got to a guest's house, when they arrived at the house as a guest, you probably would want them to wash their feet. Okay, because they probably stunk a little bit. Um, But it wouldn't have been the owner of the house who would do that. It would be the lowest servant. That is not a job you want. It would be the lowest of the low that would do the foot washing of the guests when they arrived at your house. So, now what? What does that mean in our culture? Well, we don't wear open toe sandals. I haven't walked through a load of camel poo for ever, I don't think. Walked through camel poo? Oh, okay, (laughs) the sandals. Yeah, okay, yeah. We don't need our feet washing when we arrive at someone's house. But what Jesus was doing when Jesus washed the feet was that he was modeling servant leadership. That's what he was modeling. And that's what we take from that passage. Not that we need to go and wash people's feet, but actually we need to show love in practical ways, no matter who we are, no matter what our title, no matter what our pay grade, we need to model God's love to other people. So that passage, although not directly relevant in terms of the context, is relevant in terms of the message. So that's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about as we're reading through. So there are some questions, and you'll get time to talk about this more um, in the sessions midweek. But there are a few questions that I'm just going to run through relatively quickly, but we're okay. That people ask, and you should be asking, we should be asking these questions because we need to be sure that we believe that the Bible is worthy of reading and that we believe that actually what's in that Bible is a message that we need to apply to our lives because if we don't believe that, then what's the point? So the four questions we're going to look at, how is the Bible formed? Okay. Are the Bible texts reliable? It's a good enough question to ask. Why are there so many translations and is that a problem? And why should we believe... But that book that we got given at Sunday school, got given at secondary school, etc., 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 is God's word. All valid questions. Those are questions that, if you are trying to share your faith with somebody, they quite rightly should be asking you, yeah? and we need to have answers for it. So, first things first: How was the Bible formed? So, it was written over a long period of time. But I think it's fair to say that no other book has been under so much scrutiny. Yeah, This book has been scrutinized left, right and center, top to bottom, back to front over many, many years. And there are some texts, some books that didn't make it into the Bible. Okay? We have 66 books in the Bible and there are some that didn't make it, didn't make the grade. The 66 books we have are referred to as the spiritual canon. I don't know if you see, that is a spirit level. Okay. Yeah, I know that. Uh, and Brian even put a spirit level on this this morning because he was very concerned it wouldn't be straight. not sure how straight it was, but he declared it was, so that was fine, within the mark. So the word canon means rule or standard. That's why the spirit level is up there. So the books that are included, the 66 books that we've got, are considered to be uniquely authoritative. Say <laughs> so that quick. So basically, we we measure everything against the Bible. Therefore, it means we have to be sure that what's in the Bible is worth being measured against. Can't be wonky. <laughs> Anyone uh, read the Da Vinci Code or seen the film where it refers to the Book of Thomas? If you look over there, there is no Book of Thomas. Okay? It's not there. The book of Thomas um, has a very different view of the life of Jesus. Okay? Very different. Um, Jesus got Mary Magdalene pregnant, and they had a daughter, and all sorts of things. Yeah, book of Thomas. So that is not in the Bible. And there has been um, criticism as from skeptics over the years that actually the church has withheld various books and, you know, tried to kind of falsify the view of the Bible. But the fact is that we need to make sure that everything is consistent, everything stacks up. And if you look at that, clearly it has a very different picture of the life of Jesus, doesn't agree with anything else, um, and was written about 150 years after no. Jesus' death. Now that's quite important, is that we kind of get to, to understand kind of why some books were included and why some books were not. So let's have a look at uh, the New Testament as an example. So phase one of the New Testament. So we're kind of here. Okay, here. Go back. Right, so phase one of the New Testament was basically the life of Jesus, birth, death, and resurrection. And to coin a modern phrase, that message went viral. Okay, word of mouth. That was common knowledge at the time. Phase two, eyewitness accounts are captured in the Gospels. Those Gospels are written by people who were there. They are within the lifetime of Jesus' contemporaries. They're not hearsay. They are not history books. They were written by people at the time. Okay, so pretty good indication that that's what was happening. Okay, pretty good. Phase three, Jesus chose 12 followers who became the foundational leaders of the church, and they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, or the risen Jesus. The latter books of the New Testament were kind of letters, um, where they were written or endorsed by those 12 foundational leaders. So I'm feeling pretty confident at this point that this stuff is all kind of, not kind of made up, it's not gossip, it's not Chinese whispers. This is actually what's going on. So by the end of the first century, pretty much most of the New Testament, as we know it, was done, it was established. So when you look back and you think about this mysterious book of Thomas that was written 150 years later, but has a very different picture of what was shared by those eyewitnesses, you begin to think this doesn't quite have the credibility that it should have. So, I think that was, um, fair enough that that's not included. So I thought that was quite interesting. You'll get more chance to talk about that during the week. But is it reliable? Okay, this, this book, this library of books has been written over all of these years. How do we know that that original text hasn't been changed or altered over the years? They didn't have photocopiers. They didn't have computers. So when they wrote it, they didn't write it on a Word document that you could track changes. My boss is very keen on track changes. Drives me insane. You get all these little things coming all over the place. They didn't have track changes. There's no kind of easily. Yeah, They write it out, one version to the next version to the next. How do we know that what we read today is what they wrote at the time? Well, we found some. Well, not me, personally. Obviously, I don't go hunting around. But they found... Bits of the Old Testament, quite a lot of the Old Testament. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They were found where? In the Dead Sea. Sea. Well, around the Dead Sea, yeah. Qumran. In 11 caves. And they were found between 1947 and 1956. Almost all of the Old Testament books were found. And when you compare them with what we read today, they are virtually identical. That's quite reassuring. That yeah, what we're reading is what Jesus and his contemporaries would have read. That was their book at the time. That was their their Bible um, was the Old Testament. So what we read today is the same as what Jesus was reading. That's exciting. Suddenly the Old Testament sounds a bit more interesting. I'm not. Yeah, I find the Old Testament hard. But so what? That's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Obviously that was written later. So we have got manuscript fragments from 100 A.D. In Cambridge, pleased to say, there is a complete copy of John's Gospel from the 4th century which you can go and have a look at. And that, if you compare it with what we have today, is identical. Okay? Is identical. There isn't enough, there hasn't been enough time, there wasn't enough time between when it was written and the date of that manuscript for any significant changes to have happened. So again we can be fairly confident that actually the text that we are reading is as it was. I'm quite reassured by that. That's good. Are we happy with that? Yes. Now here we get to the thorny issue. Why are there so many translations? And does it matter that there are so many translations? And has that meaning been lost in translation. So, there are people who say, well, if you don't read the Bible in the original language, then you're not getting the right picture of it. Well, I don't read much ancient Hebrew or Greek or anything, so um, I'm going to (laughs) struggle, to be honest. I need it translated for me. The people in the film earlier need it translated for them. We need to be able to understand it. So, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, The New Testament was written in Greek with a bit of Aramaic. So the fact that actually the Bible was written in three different languages means that we should be fairly happy that it was meant to be read in different languages. You know what I mean? The the whole different language thing is is not a problem. Um, It's not tied to just one language. So we can translate the text into our own language without any loss of impact. And even more interesting is that when the New Testament was written, there are actually two different types of Greek. Classical Greek and the common Greek. And the Bible, the New Testament, was written in the common Greek. Which meant that it was meant for normal people to read. Thank goodness. Yeah, it was meant for people like us to read. People that are not you know, highly educated in these matters. Yeah, we're meant to understand it. So what bi- I have admiration beyond measure for Bible translators. They do an absolutely amazing job. When I was at university, I, um, I was at university with someone who went, he was a computer scientist. It's quite interesting, you know And he actually went to work for Wycliffe Bible translators. And because what they do when they translate, they do use a lot of computer programming language. Very clever, um, as to how they translate it. Oh, that was fascinating. So there are different translations of the Bible, and we can kind of look at them on a, on a scale. So we can have the very literal translations through to what we would refer to as a paraphrase translation. Um, so literal translations, you've got the uh, the King James Version, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. That's my big floppy Bible, I think. My big preacher's Bible is an ESV. Um, The NIV, which are the blue ones that you've got on your chairs, generally regarded as quite an easy-to-understand translation, we call it an equivalent translation. NLT is the New Living Translation. Uh, Good News Bible, that's what I got from Sunday school, Good News Bible, with the funny little stick pictures in. And then right through to the Message, which if you've read it, is a, a very paraphrased version of the Bible. So let's uh, take a look at a passage. So this, um, if you have a Bible, by all means look it up. It's Mark 6, verse 37. And we're just going to look at it in three different versions, the same verse in three different versions. So you get an idea of how these different types of translation work. So a literal translation, um, so we'll use the English Standard Version. He said, but, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So the disciples' reaction to Jesus saying, well, you feed them. This is the feeding of the five. You feed them. Deal with it. Well, are we going to take, you know, go and buy bread, 200 denarii worth of bread? So what they're doing is they're keeping the disciples' reaction in the original monetary terms. Okay. Now, I don't know much. I'm an accountant, but I don't know much about denarii, I have to say. Um, so the, the new, the, the more equivalent version, so let's take it from the NIV, but he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So that's an equivalent version. So that helps me out a little bit, because I don't know what a denarii is without looking it up. So actually, I now understand that they're talking about a significant amount of money. I can I can work out what I would, you know, what half a year's wages would mean to me. Okay, that's a lot. You know, they're they're talking. This is a big group of people. This is crazy. Okay, so, so that really helps us. The message says, Jesus said. I love the message. Jesus said, "You do it. Fix supper for them." And they replied, "Are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper?" So the paraphrase version it expresses the meaning. You can really get a sense of their kind of shock. It's like, what? Are you mad? We can't go and do that. That's crazy. Now there's nothing wrong with any of those translations. They're all getting the same message across. It's just a different way of looking at it. And we get actually if we read all three, we get a really kind of multi-level layer view of what that passage says. So it's a really good, it's a really good practice to actually read the Bible in different translations. We have our favourite, of course we do. Everybody has their favourite version, favourite translation. But when you get stuck into this, you'll discover there are weekly readings, daily readings. Try and read them in different versions. Dig a couple of versions out and just see if you can kind of understand the passage a little bit more by getting a feeling of it. So, you know, maybe take a literal translation and a paraphrase translation and get a real understanding of what it's going on about. Right, very quickly. Having established that it was written and the right books are in there, that we are pretty confident that what was written is what we've got now. And actually, those different translations are a real help to us, and we should not be dismissive of any of them, but maybe take them all in in context. The other big question is, why should we believe that the Bible is God's book? Why do we believe it's of such significance to us? And I think, to be honest, that is the reason. (laughs) Yeah? It was endorsed by Jesus. Jesus used the Bible. When he was tempted, he quoted from the Bible. When he was teaching, he used the Bible. If it's good enough for Jesus to preach from, if he felt it was important, then it is important. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to accept that. That's fine. Yes, you know, he didn't have the New Testament. Yes, clearly, he didn't have the New Testament. That hadn't been finished yet, but he had the Old Testament. So when he was tempted, uh, so if you look at Matthew 4.4, 4, he said, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he was quoting from Deuteronomy. So he was quoting from the Old Testament, and he was using that to challenge against or meet the challenge that the devil was making against him. So that's one reason. Okay, Let's believe it's God's book because Jesus said it was, Jesus quoted from it, and therefore I'm happy to accept that. And it also has miraculous harmony. I said at the beginning it was written by over 40 authors over 1,500 years But we've touched on the fact today that this thread runs all the way through. Now, I'm sorry, that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, Definitely not. We looked last Christmas, um, we did the series on the, the prophecies that were fulfilled just through the birth of Christ. Prophecies that were written hundreds of years previously that were fulfilled in the New Testament, written by completely different people in different languages, in different times, and it flows through. It's inspired by God. It has to be. And that's why it's so exciting um, and so important that we get a real understanding of... So, The worship team said, look pointedly at me when you want us to stand up. That was it. So what does it mean for us? Yes, this is, is going to be a series where we learn lots of things, but there's no point learning lots of things unless you can apply it to yourself. We need to be able to apply this. So the message that I've taken for me from just this initial first overview session is that actually I'm guilty of taking the Bible for granted. You know, I have, and that was just that's just some of the Bibles I have at home. But do I really take it as seriously as I should do? I need to rediscover the joy of reading the Bible. Not just, I need to do this every day, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Actually, let's read it, let's get stuck into the Bible, and this is going to be an amazing way to do that. It's a chance to ask questions. It's a chance to say, but hang on a minute, if it says that there, uh, all those questions that you've kind of, have always been a little bit, "Mm, maybe I shouldn't ask that, maybe it looks stupid. It's no stupid question. It's important that we do more than the cursory few glances at a few verses each day. And I'm guilty of this. It's like, oh, yes, I must read my Bible every day because I'm a Christian and that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> read a verse. Brilliant. Let's go to work. Yeah. Actually, I need to pay a bit more attention to it than that. And, that, and that's where the joy comes in. And I think that the, the readings, it the, you will know, set the scene for the next session. So the readings you'll do during the week will really set the scene for what we'll be covering in the next session. So hopefully we'll be up to speed before we even get there. And try and read. Yeah, let's try and read in a few translations. If you haven't got more than one translation at home, download them. I've got 40 translations of the Bible just on my phone. Yeah, if you want a Bible, come and see me. I will buy you a Bible. I'm very happy to do that. Um, but yeah, let's let's get stuck in. Let's read the Bible. Let's rediscover what this message is all about. Oh, to you guys.